If you want to open your Bibles, uh, please turn to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 3, and the first 12 verses, uh, which I'll read in just a moment. Uh, we are in a brief sermon series this Advent season, uh, finding Christmas gifts in unusual places, sometimes right under our noses, uh, sometimes in ways that are unexpected. And we're thinking this morning about uh, finding the unusual but important gift, the gift of starting over, the gift of beginning again. And I want to read to you from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, and I invite you to stand if you're able, please. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then the people of Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to him, and all the region along the Jordan, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Perhaps you have uh, read or heard about the lady in Vermont who has 1,400 nativity sets. I want to show you a first picture of uh, her holding uh, one of them, and there are some in the background. And then this second picture will show you the rows and rows of nativity sets, 1,400. How many of you have 1,400 nativity sets? How many of you want to have 1,400 nativities? You would. Way to go, Kagan. Uh, how many of you want to help Kagan put them down after Christmas? Well, uh, I don't have 1,400, but uh, I told Janet this weekend uh, I'm developing this real thing about nativity sets, uh, and I, I don't know what there is. I, that's one of my favorite things about the launching of the Advent season is putting up the nativity sets, because I'm here to tell you, you can laugh at me if you want, but I truly worship when I put them out on display. I put up a couple uh, in my office over across the hallway uh, this week, and I'm going to put up a, another one uh, this week because there's room and I can, uh, and we put up several in our home. There, I, I just, I put them out this year, and I just felt this glow inside, and I was trying to identify what it is about that that is so worshipful and so sacred for me. And I, 
this isn't all of it, but, but the part I came up with is there is something about the beginning of Advent that reminds us in the rhythm of the seasons we can start again. We can clear the slate. We can, we can start fresh and we can begin over. And, and these, these figurines become for us sort of reminders, physical reminders of, of this precious gift of God actually coming. And it's, and it's such a precious, precious thing. And that starting over, that beginning again, it was John the Baptist's message. Repent, he said, for the kingdom of heaven is coming among you. That's the message that Jesus preached. His first sermons were repent, turn, and, and repentance means a change of mind. But here's a nuance, uh, a connotation of that, of that Greek word repent. It not only means a change of mind, it means to go beyond the mind. That is to say, uh, to repent is to, is to move into a new reality. Uh, it's not just seeing new things, it's seeing with new eyes. It's, it's what we would say today, a new paradigm, a, a new way of looking at reality. So it's a change of mind, it's going beyond our present mind, seeing things differently, and then it's the turning. To repent is to turn away from something and to turn towards something, that fresh start. A man once walked into uh, a local newspaper office, and he was irate. He walked up to the cub reporter at the front desk, and he said, I want you to know that my name was printed in yesterday's obituary as deceased, and I am very much alive. And he said, I want you to print a retraction. And the young cub reporter, he, uh, he was pretty smooth. He said, well, we don't print retractions, but I'll tell you what we'll do. Tomorrow we will print you in the births, and you can start all over again. Isn't that great? You can just start fresh, put you in the birth announcements, and, and, and just go from there. To begin again, starting over. So if beginning again is so wonderful, if starting over is so refreshing, I have some questions about repentance, about starting over. If repentance is so great, first of all, uh, why is it so difficult for us? You ever think about that? Why is it so difficult for us to repent? If we know the blessings will come, if we know the newness will come, why is it so difficult for us? Well, I think the answer is primarily because of our egos. Because it's so difficult for us to dethrone self. We'd like to stay in charge. We'd like to fix things ourselves. We'd like to be able to say, we got out of the jam on our own, when in reality we can't. That's the essence of sin, that it's like quicksand. It's very enslaving. Bad habits, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and so ego gets in the way. If we had our way, we'd just keep putting up the facade that everything's okay. We'd just practice surface things and just put on a good front. But God loves us too much to let us get by with that. God loves us so much that he says, no, I want you to have something deeper and something more. There is nothing as freeing, as liberating, as hearing the truth about your own life. 
It's painful. But there is nothing as liberating as hearing the truth about your own life and then having the courage to take responsibility for your own choices. To be able to say, I'm through pretending. I want to take responsibility for my choices. Scripture says the people came to John and they confessed their sins. That's what it is. To say, this is my fault. To repent. And it's very freeing. But it's tough. So here's my second question. If repentance is so wonderful, why is it always about the other person? Have you noticed? Man, I wish so-and-so had been at church today to hear that sermon. Wow, she really needs to repent. You know, we can always see it in other people. And that's true even, and maybe especially among church people. We always think repentance is for the unchurched. When in reality, most of what Scripture says about repentance is directed toward religious people. Here's a shock for you. How many times have you read the story about John the Baptist? The people came from Jerusalem to be baptized. In John's day, baptism was primarily for Gentiles who wanted to come into the Jewish faith as God-fearers. They were not born Jews. They could not ever be recognized as full-fledged Jews, but they could come in to the faith as God-fearers through the experience of baptism. But now John flips all that and says, baptism is for the people of Abraham too. That there's no immunization shot you get at birth because you were born into a religious family. There's no... Uh, there's no get out of jail free for you because you, your name is a certain name or because your, your uh, pedigree is of a certain kind. He was speaking to Sadducees and Pharisees. They knew the Bible. They knew church life. They had influence. And John called them a nest of snakes because they, like all of us, needed to repent. It's not for the other person. It's for us. And you can come to church and sing Christmas carols, but that doesn't make you a Christian. You can come to church and sing Christmas carols, but that doesn't mean you're right with God. Coming to church and singing doesn't make you a Christian any more than sleeping in the garage tonight makes you an automobile. Right? Here's a third question. When we talk about repentance, why do we always focus on the negatives? We always want to dwell on what people are repenting from. The old evangelistic services, we always spent more time talking about sin than we did the kingdom of God and the way of salvation. For John the Baptist preach, repent, turn around because the kingdom of God is waiting for you. Yeah, we need to know about the sin part, but 
why do we always get hung up on all those bad things that we're turning from and we don't turn to the positive, to the good news of who and what we're turning to? The kingdom of God is here. An analogy maybe to help out. Suppose you're digging, a, digging ditches for a living. It's hot work. It's back-breaking work. It's long hours. And it doesn't pay very well. And as you're digging one day, a lawyer walks up to you and says, you've inherited a million dollars. You leave the ditch and you leave the shovel because you don't need them anymore. And you run to the riches. And so John says, turn, turn. And what he focused on was turn from your sin and turn to the kingdom. And leave some of that old stuff behind and start over. Begin again. See, Matthew says that what John was doing was a fulfillment of Isaiah 40. And Isaiah 40 is about the exiles coming home. They've been banished for their sins. And now God says, come home. Come home to me. Come home to my mercy. Come home to my forgiveness. Come home to my grace. And God says to us, come home. Turn from whatever you've been into. Start again. You can start fresh. Turn around and trust me and come home. You ever wonder why people flocked to the desert to hear John the Baptist. It's very clear from this scripture passage that the people were really coming. And if you've ever been to the Holy Land, it's, it's a way, the, the desert is outside of the city. It's hot. It's, it's uncomfortable. It's desolate. And let's just face it. John the Baptist was weird. I mean... Dressed in camel hair. He had grasshopper breath, you know. Weird. Strange. And yet people flocked. You know why they came? I think. They came because they were weary of how their life was not working. I read this passage and I think they were tired of external religion with no power on the inside to change. I think they came because they heard in his message a liberation from repeated cycles of failure, of making promises to God we cannot keep and then breaking them and feeling shame and then the cycle starts all over again. They were weary of the same old, same old. And they were hungry for the reality of God and God's presence and power in their lives. The same way we are. And that's why the, the last part of John's message is so important because he said, repent, turn around. The kingdom of God is waiting, but you won't, you won't be able to sustain it on your own. You don't have it in you. To, to keep this up on your own. So God's going to plant His presence in you called the Holy Spirit and it's going to be like a fire to, 
to energize you and to, to fire the pistons of your life so that you'll have the energy to obey me. You know, if I had a glove uh, out of my overcoat on this music stand right now and, and I said to that glove, uh, glove, pick up this Bible, the glove would remain motionless, inert, un- unable. But what if I put my hand in that glove and then I said to that glove, pick up this Bible? The glove would able, be able to do it because there was power and life inside of it. And God does not stay up in heaven shouting down to us, behave, straighten up, you ought to be ashamed of yourself, you're such a mess. God sends His Son. His love, His power, His presence. And after His Son ascended, He sends His Holy Spirit to be within us so that we can always start again. You have it within your power each day. I have it in my power each day to begin again, to live with the energy of Christ, fresh starts, one of life's sweetest gifts. Let's bow our heads. I invite you this morning in a time of prayer, if you've never invited Jesus Christ into your life, to say a simple prayer. God, I have sinned, and I'm sorry. I turn from that life that has ignored you, and I turn toward you, and I ask you, Jesus, to come into my life to forgive me, and I'll follow you. you're here this morning you've never trusted Christ and you're ready to make that commitment our altar call is a time when you can come and share that and receive some help in forming that prayer and firming that up our altar call is also for those believers who need to share a prayer burden a significant turning our altar call is also for those who wish to join our church though you don't have to walk the aisle If that's your choice this morning to join our church, we'd welcome you. Right where you are this morning during our song and response time, I invite you to have the courage to ask the Holy Spirit where God would like you to wipe the slate clean and begin again. Lord, thank you for your precious love and your power that makes possible obedience. Through Christ our Lord, amen.